Louie, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Rose? Where we're going, we don't need Rose. No. I am your father. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. You're listening to After the Ending, the only film podcast where we tell you what happens after the ending of your favorite films. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Spring and Phil Edwards. Hello and welcome to After the Ending. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And Phil, I know we uh, opened our our mini episode last week talking about the weather and and the snow, Uh, but I have to say I find it kind of ironic that today uh, is one of the windiest days that I can remember. I was walking outside earlier and literally the wind was pushing me so that I I was like slowing down in my walking because the wind was so (laughs) strong. And that ties directly into one of the movies we're doing today. So I thought that was just kind of an ironic situation you may even hear it a little bit because it's so loud and windy that it might even come through the recording oh it's still windy now as well is it oh yeah 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 it's crazy out it's been quite it's been a nice clear day over here in the uk so oh lucky you i'm sure but i think we're due another blast of uh cold windy weather yeah yeah the last one they had we called they called it the beast oh really and it it wasn't really that bad i mean compared to what you get it was you know, you, you could go out in a T-shirt and right, be okay. Right, right. Yeah, we're not quite at that point just yet. But Well, anyway, why don't you tell people what movies are tying into our extreme weather situation this week? Well, the extreme weather applies to uh, Twister. Uh, and the second film, well, the one we'll be going with first is My Blue Heaven, which is the one that stars Steve Martin and Rick Moranis. And we'll also be doing our top 10 favorite movies of 1961. Yes, and uh, My Blue Heaven takes place in sunny California, so not a lot of extreme weather uh, out there. But... <laughs> That's no, okay. No. Uh, speaking of which, why don't we jump into things and we'll get started with uh, with My Blue Heaven. You want to take us through the events of that film? Okie doke, yes. So My Blue Heaven, it's uh, from 1990, directed by Herbert Ross and written by Nora Ephron. It follows the story of Vinnie Antonelli, played by Steve Martin, who's a former mobster in the Witness Protection Program with his wife, Linda. Uh, Barney Cooper-Smith, played by Rick Moranis, is assigned to watch over them. Uh, Barney is a by-the-book kind of guy, causing his wife to leave him because she wants a bit more excitement. And Vinny's wife also leaves him because they're a bit bored about where they're living in the suburbs. Vinny finds it difficult to act good and keep a low profile, so Barney has his work cut out for him. Vinny also meets up with some old friends who are also on the witness protection program, and he ends up getting involved in a sort of like a mini organised crime ring that's going on in the local area. During all the shenanigans, Vinny and Barney bond and become friends. They help each other become better people, as well as being better dancers. Vinny testifies and also works on bringing Barney together with his assistant DA, Hannah Stubbs, played by Joan Cusack. Uh, Vinny meets Chaldine, played by Carol Kane, and they marry. Uh, Barney and Hannah get together. Vinny starts a new scam, which involves fake charity collections, and Hannah arrests him because of this, and uses Vinny's real name, jeopardising Vinny's testimony and also his life. During the court case, Hitman try and kill Vinny. He's saved by a policewoman called Crystal, and he ends up showing that he had been using some of the money uh, to build a ballpark for the local Little League. Uh, Barney backs him up, and while in jail, Vinny had written a book about his life as a mobster, which ends up getting published, and the film ends with a ball game at the completed ballpark. Vinny is now with Crystal, and they have a child. And that's My Blue Heaven. Very good. Nicely done. Thank you very much. I like this movie. I do. I watched it again this week, actually, yeah. because I couldn't quite remember it. Right. It's fun, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's it's, uh, it's a lot of fun, actually, because I like... I like Rick and Steve. They're both very good. Yeah. And it's it's more like a series. Well, initially, it's more like a series of extended sketches, really. Between, right. Because you know, the times move quite 
there's quite a lot of time jumps, but you don't realise at first. But yeah. it's uh, it's quite it's just yeah, it's a it's a funny film. It's a good comedy mob story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's yeah. fun. It's not you know I, I I watched it again not all that long ago, and I don't think it's like a, a laugh out loud funny kind of film. But it's just one of those movies that's kind of lighthearted and fun, and you kind of chuckle and smile throughout it. And yeah, you know when it's over, you just kind of have an, a a pleasant feeling. You know, it's just one of those yeah. movies. You know, sort of sort of a feel good film, if you will. Yeah, it's like an early evening weekend kind of movie. Yeah, 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 exactly. But that was the, that's what happens with the film. What do you have after the ending? Okay, well, Vinny stays in town and becomes a pillar of the community. The baseball field becomes a center of the town, and Vinny realizes that he felt more personal satisfaction from the success of the field than from just about anything else he's ever done. So he decides to raise money to open a neighboring community center to give both kids and adults a place to congregate and hold community events. Barney and Hannah have moved in together, and they agree to help Vinny raise the money. Hannah is still half keeping an eye on him, not sure if it's a scam or not, but she gives him the benefit of the doubt. As the money-raising campaign gets underway, a mysterious figure arrives in town, checks into a motel, and begins watching the events that are unfolding. Oh, okay. Hmm. Yeah. Who's that going to be? We'll find out. Yes. Or, or I just left it completely hanging and never come back to it, which would make for a terrible, terrible ending. <laughs> Chekhov's okay. gun? What's that? Screw Chekhov. <laughs> little, little deep cut humor for those of you who don't get the reference. Yeah, just, brilliant. Just always like it. a bit of Chekhov's gun. <laughs> It'd be good to do a film which is full of those kind of things right. and, you know, none of them. Right. It's sort of a, a cousin to the MacGuffin, but you can, you can yeah, do the yeah. Google search there. So. <laughs> anyway. All right. So how about your day after, Phil? Okay. Vinny's testimony was successful. And with changes in the mob's leadership, Vinny feels that he is safe for now. Having a child with Crystal gives him a slightly new perspective on life. And the fact that the people of the suburb he lives in all seem to like him, he does feel a sense of, of completion almost. He's in a better place. His book is also a huge success and brings in large amounts of money. Vinny realises that he no longer needs to commit crimes to get the finer things in life, but he feels a sense of boredom creeping in. Barney and Hannah, now married, are incredibly happy. Hannah loosens up and they have great times together. Vinny and Barney stay good friends, and Barney gets his choice of assignments at the FBI. However, he can see that Vinny is getting bored and worries that his friend will fall back into his bad habits. Mm. That's my day after. All right, I like it. I like it. I'd like to see where this is going. Let's see. Well, what's going on then with your mysterious stranger? Okay, well, Vinny finds that the town is giving, but there just isn't enough money among the locals to raise another several million dollars needed for the community center. So with Barney's help, he turns to the nascent computer technology known as the World Wide Web and gets an idea to ask strangers for money. Barney thinks it's a great idea, and Vinny dubs it crowd money raising. <laughs> Barney thinks they need to work on the name a little bit. <laughs> with the help of neighboring communities, they quickly find the rest of the money, and the community center's construction begins. Meanwhile, the mysterious figure begins following Vinny. And that's where I'm going to leave it for now. Damn it! <laughs> Okay. Just teasing it out. Teasing it out, yeah, Phil. Yeah. Okay, then. All right. So how about your immediate aftermath? Okay. Barney gets Vinny a job as a consultant with the FBI because he thinks it will keep him busy. At first, Vinny refuses to do this as he feels it's a step too far because he's already ratted out some of his, his former friends at the court case and he feels this is going to go make things even worse. However, Barney convinces him by saying it will be a chance to outsmart other criminals and also possibly get back at some people who caused problems for Vinny in the past. Vinny likes that idea. What follows is a series of funny and interesting cases, many of which end with hilarious consequences. <laughs> it would also make yet another fine police procedural TV show. <laughs> Finney's literary agent gets in touch to say that a number of film studios have been in touch inquiring about the film rights to his book. Two days later, Finney has disappeared. 
Ooh, a little intrigue right at the end there. That's my immediate aftermath. I like it. Okay, what's going on with yours? Are we going to find out who this damn guy is? Uh, y- y- yes, we will. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. A few months later, at the ribbon-cutting ceremony and town parade for the community center, Vinny steps up to the podium to deliver a speech. He's greeted by thunderous applause from a grateful townspeople. Just as he leans towards the microphone to speak, a shot rings out and strikes him squarely in the heart. The mysterious man from the previous two chapters quickly zips up his sniper rifle and makes it out of town without even having to break a sweat. When he gets back to Chicago, he pays a visit to the prison. Don Vermicelli, he says to the aged man behind the glass. <laughs> it is done. Vincent Antonelli has paid for betraying the family. He's dead. The old man nods silently and heads back into the prison. Back in California, Vinny sits up coughing as Barney and Hannah and several townspeople attend to him. Good thing you told me to wear that vest, he says to Barney. Good thing he didn't aim for your head, Hannah says. Hey, I didn't think of that, Vinny exclaims. (laughs) Barney quickly changes the subject and launches into a bit of convenient exposition. That guy stood out like a sore thumb in a small town like this. Wasn't hard to figure out what he was here for. Now, as far as the mob is concerned, you should be officially dead. Well, Vinny replies, let's not let a little thing like being dead slow down this party. And with that, he pops back up, and the town celebration continues. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you. Very in keeping with the film. Yeah, I thought so. I really, yeah, yeah, you know, I like you got to try and keep yeah. with the spirit sometimes. Although Excellent. just now, as I was reading it, all I could think of was, "It's these cans. He hates these cans." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my God! Get away from the cans! <laughs> Everybody, stay away from the cans! <laughs> and for those of you who don't catch the reference, just go back to—I think it was episode eleven where we did our after the ending for the jerk. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> it's the—it's the episode in jokes, Phil. Yes, yes, that is what it is. Twud that it was. Try the fish. All right. On that note, let's wrap this up and give us your long term. Okay, Barney goes to see Crystal to make sure that she's okay and that and her and Vinny's kids okay. But he's very surprised to see how calm Crystal is. Barney returns to the office to see if there's any news about Vinny. Turns out a body has been discovered that matches Vinny's description. A funeral is held and Barney is incredibly sad. A few months later, Barney visits Crystal. While there, he's surprised to see that there is a man with her. They talk and Barney feels he knows the man, who's called Walter. Eventually, Walter starts laughing and admits that he is actually Vinny. He'd faked his death and had plastic surgery to change his looks. Turns out that with changes in the mob, a new hit was put out on Vinny. And with his literary success and the possibility of movies based on his life, Vinny realised that he had to really disappear this time, and so Walter was born. Barney promises to help out as much as he can, and their friendship continues. I like it. That's that's my ending. I like it very much. Thank you very much. Also keeping in spirit with the movie. Yeah, yeah. We both had a faking his death. Yeah, I was just going to say, we both had him sort of die and then come back. But I guess that kind of fits. Again, when you're with the mob and you witness protection, like you sort of have to clean that slate, you know? Oh, definitely, yeah, yeah. I know I've had to do that a couple of times. (laughs) Ah, I'm going to have to do it again now. Damn it, Jeffrey. You're not supposed to let people know your real name. Next week, after the ending, we'll be with Mike and a bloke called Trevor. Right. (laughs) All right, Phil, I think it's time for My Blue Trivia. So what do you have for us? I'll let that one go. Well done, Mike. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Uh, My Blue Heaven and Goodfellas were both based on the life of Henry Hill. Uh, Goodfellas based on a, the book Wise Guy, written by Nicholas Pileggi, and his wife was Nora Ephron, who wrote the screenplay for My Blue Heaven. So they were both working on 
on these things at the same time. Well, I mean, they're almost yeah. the exact same film, really. Yeah, yeah, they are pretty much. <laughs> I, mean, I often get confused between the two. Yeah, in tone, I mean, the casts are similar, the directors are similar. Mm-hmm. I mean, Herbert Ross, who I've never heard of, and Martin Scorsese. I mean, you know, it's it's almost the same film, really. Well, yeah, what, what you could do, though, is you could watch Goodfellas, because it ends, though, you know, it's got it's got uh, Ray Liotta, he's, you know, he's in Witness Protection Center, right, body is. Right. Then put on My, My Blue Heaven to see what his character got up it, to. It would make for a fun double feature, I think. Yeah. You know, a really great <laughs> dramatic film, and then kind of a nice comedic film to cleanse the palate. Yeah, that's what it is. Uh, it, Arnold Schwarzenegger was originally going to play Vinny, uh, with Steve Martin playing Barney, the FBI agent. However, luckily, Arnie went on to do Kindergarten Cop, and so uh, Steve Martin was convinced to play Vinny, and Rick Moranis came on board to play Barney. It would have been a very different film with Schwarzenegger in it, but I bet it would have been a big hit. Yeah, I think it probably would have been, but you said it would have been more action, there would have been more Hitman going on. Right, but it would have been, like I mean, because Kindergarten Cop isn't even that different of a movie in terms of, uh, you know what I'm saying? So, be, like, yeah. if you it's had a put him in. Kind of right, thing, yeah. if you put him in, in witness protection instead of as an undercover cop, you know, it's, it, I bet it would have been just as big as Kindergarten Cop was. Yeah, it would have been interesting to see Steve Martin acting with Arnold Schwarzenegger, yes, to be honest. Yes, yes, for sure. I wonder how that would have gone down. Uh, and last but not least, where is it? Uh, the sound effects from the video game that Rick Moranis' partner is playing are from the Atari 2600 version of Pac-Man, which had previously been used in Superman 3. Ah, cool. And there we go. That's my blue heaven. All right, very good. Well, let's move on then to Twister. Twisting the night away. <laughs> okay. That's all, sure. That's all I'll, I've got. I'll go with it. Why not? That's all I've got. Okay, then. So do you want to give us a rundown on what happens in the events of Twister? I'm guessing it involves some kind of a game where you've got to spin something, got to put your hand on like a color. <laughs> that is exactly then, it. Yeah. That's exactly it's, it. Uh, I'm surprised nobody's actually made that. Yeah, game, right. You're a battleship, haven't we? <laughs> okay, yeah. What, what happens with uh, this Twister? All right. Well, Twister, 1996, directed by Jan DeBont, starring Bill Paxton, Helen Hunt, Jamie Gertz, Carrie Elwes, and Philip Seymour Hoffman. Pretty good cast, actually. Yeah, it's a great cast for sure. It's it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Here now, check this out though, Phil. I I finally got a, a movie I could do a short synopsis for. Oh, okay. You ready? Yeah. All right. And that's not that short. It's not like it's one sentence, <laughs> but. Here we go. In June 1969, young Joe Thornton's father is killed by an F5 tornado. Almost 30 years later, she reunites with her ex-husband, Bill Harding, who has a new device to capture scientific data about tornadoes to try and learn how to prevent them. As they chase tornadoes, we meet Bill's new fiance, Melissa, and his team of tornado hunters, including Philip Seymour Hoffman as Dusty Davis, as well as Joe's Aunt Meg. A tornado destroys the small town of Waukita, Kansas, where Aunt Meg lives, and Joe becomes obsessed with getting her device, named Dorothy, into a tornado. They succeed, but get caught in an F5 tornado themselves. However, they are able to survive and see the eye of the tornado. After the storm, Bill and Joe start getting telemetry from Dorothy, and it's clear that their romance might start to bloom again as well. And that's Twister. Excellent. Thanks. Not a movie that's heavy on plot, but a heck of a lot of fun. Yeah, it is actually. Yeah, I'll give you that. I, I really love this movie. I'll be honest with you. I, I, you know, I mean, I've said on the show before multiple times what a big disaster film fan I am. So obviously, this is right up my alley. Um, but I do think that you know, it's it's exactly pretty great special effects for the time, especially, and I think some of them still hold up. Um, you know, great cast. It's got the right amount of humor, and just yeah. you know, it doesn't skimp on the disaster stuff. You know. But it's like a smaller scale disaster movie as well. It's not like the whole world's going to end. Right, it's right, these right. Things, it's these things which all the events that happen, it could really happen Absolutely. and do happen. Absolutely. Unfortunately, every year. So. Here's what I don't get. What happened to Jan de Bont? I mean, the guy made two of the biggest action movies of the 90s with Twister and Speed, 
And now he he's like completely persona non grata in Hollywood. I I don't understand what happened. He was a cinematographer as well. He did like uh, Home for Red October. Yeah, yeah. He started as a cinematographer, then he yeah, moved into directing and made a couple of humongous hits. And then I think he made one or two movies that weren't humongous hits. And all of a sudden, it's like he's unemployable or something. I don't. I just don't understand it. That's all. I would yeah, like to see thing, him making movies. I think he would be. Could you imagine him making one of the Marvel movies? That would. Yeah, that'd be pretty good. But it's just looking now. He's done. He's got five directing credits. Yeah, Speed Twister, Speed, Speed two. 2, Cruise Control, The Haunting, yep. Laura Croft, Tomb Raider, The Cradle of Life. Which is actually the better film of the two Tomb yeah, Raider movies. Yeah. And that's it. And then it's like, so it's been what now, like 14 years since he's directed a movie? And I don't understand it because two of those were bona fide hits. Speed and Twister, yeah, both really. Well, Speed in particular yeah. is an incredible movie. And Speed 2, I will maintain, is not a bad movie. It would have been a hit if... Keanu Reeves had decided to be in it. I think it, it was him not being in it that caused it to bomb. But it's actually not a bad film at all. Uh, it's been a long time I, uh, since I've and seen actually, it. Last time I... The Haunting is is a decent film, and, and the Laura, uh, Laura Croft Tomb Raider 2 is, is better than the first one, but people just were burned by the first film by then. So he's actually made five films, none of which are bad, and he's, he's not directing anymore. I just think it's a shame, that's all. Mm, yeah, it's an odd one, isn't it? Yeah, but I digress. All right, well, Phil, why don't you go ahead and start us off with your day after? Okay, the data provided by the last Dorothy unit is revolutionary and gives a great understanding about tornadoes. Joe and Bill's new lab becomes the centre for tornado predictions and tracking. The Dorothy technology brings them a lot of money and ends up being used by NASA, the military and other companies and corporations. Bill and Joe also realise how in love they are and their relationship carries on stronger than ever. They begin to develop new versions and applications for the, uh, for the Dorothy tech, including a high-altitude version that should hopefully help with global weather predictions. And that's my day after. All righty. Well, I'm, I'm going to throw out our usual disclaimer that we never compare endings before the show, so we don't know what the other person has written. They're not all that similar, but there's a few minor similarities, so I just thought I'd mention that. Oh, yeah. Well, it's, I thought I had a feeling there could be some similarities on this one. Sure. So hit me with it. All right. What happens the day after? Well, Bill and Joe use the technology from Dorothy to develop better tornado tracking technology. Unfortunately, so far it's best used to help them predict storm paths once a tornado forms, but it doesn't give them enough information to yet predict where a tornado will hit. When a freak tornado hits a small town in sunny California, Bill and Joe are able to direct the residents to take shelter in the new baseball field and community center, and everyone is saved. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Thank you. Nice. Realizing that this new technology is still extremely valuable and can save lives, they pitch the tech to the National Weather Service. With a huge government grant, they set up the Wind Institute Study for Tornado Extinction Research, or TWISTER. I was trying to figure that out in my head. I'm glad you, I'm glad you gave me that. I should have guessed anyway. That's all right. I couldn't, I couldn't resist. Uh, meanwhile... On a semi-related note, Dusty Davis, played by Philip Seymour Hoffman, starts becoming much more serious and takes on a much more complex, deep-meaning role within the organization Twister. And that's my day after. Okay. Mm -hmm. You'll see where that's okay. going. Don't get don't yeah, get yeah. don't get too uh, too interested because it's not it's not all that exciting. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> all right then. Okay. All right. Meanwhile, let's hear what's going on in your immediate aftermath. All right. Over the following few months, Joe and Bill are able to accurately predict the formation and direction of a number of tornadoes. This ensures the safety of hundreds of people. Joe and Bill still chase tornadoes, but they feel a lot more secure and safer with, the, with all the knowledge that they have gained. They're also working on a new system called Tin Man that could hopefully break up a tornado if released into it, but it's still in the early days. Back at the lab, the high altitude system has news that an unprecedented number of twisters is going to form over the next few days. They send out a warning to uh, the, the authorities and focus on trying to get the Tin Man project up and running, as this could be a perfect time to try it and could save a number of lives. 
and that's my immediate aftermath. Very interesting. I want you to know I was this close and I am holding my fingers very close together to, to naming some technology in a later part of my story, the Tin Man. I was, yeah. I was this close. <laughs> well, I was going through all the Wizard of Oz things and the right, Tin Man right. seemed to one most suited exactly. for something. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad I didn't, though. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> okay, then. Well, what have you got then for your immediate aftermath? Well, while Bill runs Twister, Joe continues to research tornado-predicting technology. Taking a cue from a strange man she met in that small town in California that they helped save, she starts to raise money using the relatively new technology of the World Wide Web. Promising people a chance to help save lives, she dubs this new program Wind Funding. Bill thinks the name needs a little work. Wind Funding. <laughs> With, you can see I have my serious hat on. I say you've had too many beans already. Uh, with a fresh influx of cash, Joe is able to use some of the Dorothy technology to create a computer simulation program that she thinks will be able to accurately predict tornadoes. Now she just needs to test it out. Meanwhile, Dusty Davis, played by Philip Seymour Hoffman, starts to earn rave reviews for his performance at Twister and eventually begins to take on a leading role within the Institute. <laughs> Very good. Thank you. <laughs> now you see where I'm going with that. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah, not, nothing too serious. All right. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's wrap up this uh, Twister Mania here with your long term. Okay. The tornado swarm hits as predicted. It's even more forceful than they thought. Joe, Bill, and their crew manage to get together five Tinman modules and rush to, dis to deploy them. However, the first two fail, but the last three work and defuse three of the tornadoes. It's a success. But the remaining four tornadoes combine and form... A mega tornado which causes large amounts of damage and it's heading towards a major nearby city. I'd watch the crap out of this movie. Yeah, me too. But I can't remember what city was the closest to where they are. <laughs> so it's whichever city that you're currently in. It's yeah. that bad. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, what are we going to do? Is that Big Ben? <laughs> okay. Uh, Joe and Bill tell the rest of their crew to back off and the two of them set to work using the two broken units to cobble together to make one working Tim Man unit. However, they realize that there's not enough power to launch it. This means, to ensure correct deployment, that they'll have to drive directly into the path of the Twister. Both say that they will do it as they don't want the other one to get harmed, but neither backs down. They realise they're going to have to do it together. Calling to check that the team is safe and a good distance away, Joe and Bill kiss, check that they've both got belts on, and head into the storm. And that's my ending. I like it. I also like that you ended it. Your last three words are the name of another tornado movie, Into the Storm, that came out a few years ago. Oh, heck yeah. I forgot about that yeah. film. We should have done a double feature of Twister and Into the and Into the Storm, and then we could have had the endings just be exactly the same for both of them and yeah, <laughs> only yeah. had to do one ending for the Oh, episode. no, there's another storm coming. <laughs> right. Very cool. I like that. And I like that they have their seatbelts on because that means that they're probably going to survive because it is Hollywood. Yeah, but I, I meant that in two ways. Well, seatbelts on, but also, you know, they've got a belt on the pants in case they need to tie themselves to that's right. a piece of metal sticking out the ground that's to save themselves. Exactly. That's how you survive a, a tornado. It, it is certainly plausible. <laughs> Very cool. I like it. Okay, then. What have you got, then, for your long term? Well, as tornado season is ramping up, Joe and Bill travel back to Wakita, Kansas, right in Tornado Alley. The technology to predict tornadoes seems viable, but it is limited by a range of about 100 miles. The hope is that if a tornado is going to form within that distance, the Dorothy 2 unit will predict its formation. And while the weather forecast seems ripe for a nearby tornado, at this point, it's a waiting game. While Bill and Joe are waiting, Bill casually says to Joe... So, what do you say we get married again? I mean, I know we're not technically divorced, but do you want to make it official? Yes, Joe says, and they share a passionate kiss. Just then, Dorothy 2 pings, and a map displays a likely tornado formation just seven miles away. 
This is it, Joe says, and they drive off to see if the technology works. As they come over a hill and park their car, it's only a few minutes before they see a funnel cloud forming. Rejoicing, they hug and kiss again, then drive off to record their results before the tornado turns on them. And of course, Dusty Davis, played by Philip Seymour Hoffman, (laughs) becomes one of the most popular and well-respected employees at Twister, and eventually, after being nominated and losing three times, wins the prestigious Employee of the Month Award. (laughs) And that's my after the ending. Oh, excellent. No, but I, I like I like the end. Very nice. Thank you, thank you. Okay, I'm waiting to see where you're going to fit uh, trivia into this one. Well, I know you're waiting with bated breath to hear my uh, my pun here. So how about this, Phil? You got any oh, God. trivia for us? <laughs> trivia, <laughs> Mowich. Trivia, twoo, trivia. That's the best I could do uh, with Twister. But frankly, yeah. I got, I'm not going to lie. I really like it. Uh yeah, me too. Actually, I quite like that. Thank you, thank you. Okay, then, uh, when Bill Paxton passed away, the Spotter Network got 200 storm chasers to spell out BP with the GPS tracker blips on a radar display to honor him, which is nice. I remember seeing that, and I thought it was super cool. Yeah, yeah. Very, uh, very cool. This was, this was apparently the first movie to be, to be released on DVD and the last to be released on HD DVD. I actually have that, that Twister DVD in that original like flip-open cardboard case, that, that very first original one. I still have it. Oh, I think that was when, I think when you first bought a DVD player when yeah. it first came yeah, out. Yeah, you got that for box, free, right. packaged with it, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and this, I'm not sure how true this one is, but it, uh, they recorded a camel's moan and slowed it down to use as the sound of the tornado. I'm sure, you know, I would bet that's part of it. I mean, I would imagine yeah, it's probably... Yeah, it is crazy a, how they do some sound effects. Yeah, so. I'm sure it's a mix of uh, effects, but I, I wouldn't be surprised at all that that's one of them. Uh, the film was shot over a period of 95 days, which is, uh, that's quite a... That's that's quite a yeah, long, it's, a good, it's, it? a good, it's a good shoot, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the name on the tanker truck that pushes Bill's pickup off the tree is Benthic Petroleum, which is the same oil company in the Abyss, which is the ones overseeing the, uh, the undersea oil rig. Yes. So that's a nice little nice little connection. Indeed it is. And that's uh, that's Twister. Very good. Well, there you go. We've got Twister and My Blue Heaven. Those are our endings. And with that, it is time to move on to our 100 years of Hollywood in 100 episodes. But before we do that, I want to take a minute to once again mention that we have a sponsor for this episode. It's sponsor time. It's sponsor time. It's sponsor time. Uh, I, am clipping, <sighs> I am clipping that and I'm saving that as our jingle for all future sponsor opportunities because that was gold. <laughs> It was. It was amazing. Yeah. I'd, I've spent about a good week writing that. I I, I can tell. The, the work is yeah, out. It's, yeah, because I had to really... It started off, it was at least... It was like 100 lines long. And I thought, no, it needs to be a bit punchier. <laughs> yeah, a little... It's a, it's a nice little ditty now, you know. Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, I think I've got to the heart of it and the soul of it. I think I think you did. And our sponsor this week is the same as we had last episode. It is Calvin the Author's Audiobooks. That is a new podcast from an author named Calvin Mofield. Uh, and it's really cool. It's got it's a it's a it's a fiction, like an audiobook podcast. Each episode gives you a chunk of the story. You start at the first episode, you go through until the story is finished, and then by the end of it, you get a whole free novel as an audiobook. I've read this book. I really enjoy it. It's an urban fantasy book. It's called Eternal Night Seizures. And that's the first story. And then it's going to go on to one of his next stories. I've actually read several of Calvin's books, and I, I really like them. He's a great author. Uh, we did include a clip of his show in our last episode, number 77. So if you want to hear a six-minute excerpt, go back and listen to last episode, and you can fast-forward right to the end if you want to hear the clip. Or, of course, if you haven't already listened to the whole episode, it's, it's a good episode. But... Um, 
this is a fun podcast. They're short episodes, so you can fit them in on your morning commute. Um, and it's a really great story uh, about a guy named Max who's a detective, and um, he dies. And then things get really interesting. So I don't want to say too much more than that, but it's really it's a great story. So check it out. It's on iTunes and all the podcast apps. It is called Calvin the Author's Audiobooks. And once again, we will put a direct link to it in our show notes so you can check that out. So thank you to Calvin for sponsoring this episode. Yeah, I've listened to the first few episodes and I'm I'm more than enjoying it. So uh, thank you, Calvin. Very good. Very good. So now it is time for 100 Years of Hollywood in 100 Episodes, wherein Phil and I go back to a year of the past century of Hollywood and share our top 10 films. This year we are visiting 1961. So Phil, why don't you climb into your trusty time machine and tell us what things were like back in the day. 1961, where everything was black and white apart from the things that were in color. <laughs> that sounds about right. Okay. Yes, uh, uh, the UK Prime Minister was Harold Macmillan, and over in the US, it was a, a changeover. It was Dwight D. Eisenhower who then tagged uh, JFK. It was uh, 1961 is the f- was the first upside up down year, which would mean you can 1961 flip it upside down. It still reads 1961. Yeah, that's cool. I didn't know that. I'm yeah, so yeah. easily amused. I just realized. Oh, it's a nice, it's a nice one, that. Uh, look, here's a ball of string, Mike. Go play with that. <laughs> Ooh, squirrel. <laughs> well, I can't believe I actually looked over. Okay. Uh, the USA severed diplomatic and consular relations with Cuba, and I'm sure more Cuban cigars entered the USA after that than before. Yeah. Uh, British authorities announced that they've discovered a large Soviet spiring in London. That was 1961, and if you've been seeing the recent news here in the UK... The same not thing much is has happening changed. now. Yeah. Yes, it's old. Well, let's not forget the whole the whole issue with Ru- with Cuba. There, you just talked about started with Russia too. So yes, clearly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes. You know, I don't know if we have a lot of listeners in Russia, so I don't want to offend any of them. But Russia seems like they're up to no good sometimes. The more things change, the more they stay the That's same. That's right. Uh, Supercar, the first TV show filmed in Super Mario Nation, debuted. Ham the Chimp was launched into space aboard aboard the Mercury Redstone Two. The U.S. tested the first Minuteman 1 ICBM. Uh, the Beatles performed for the first time in the Cavern Club in Liverpool. Excellent. Yuri Gagarin became the first human in space. The Swedish warship, the Vasa, was removed from water after being sunk for 333 years earlier. Wow. I've, I've been been to Stockholm a few times and I've been to see that. It's, they've got like a big museum built around it. Oh. And it's, uh, it's amazing. It it's sounds like to it. To see it, but yeah. Because it was it was very well preserved as well where it was in the water. Crazy. And finally, the Ken doll uh, was introduced in the USA. We also saw the births of Wayne Coyne, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Todd Haynes, Jasper Ford, Suggs from the band Madness, Lloyd Cole, Henry Rollins, Dwayne McDuffie, Eddie Murphy, Vincent Gallo, George Lopez, George Clooney, Tim Roth, Enya, Harry Enfield, Michael J. Fox, Ricky Gervais, Aaron Sorkin, Ian Glenn, Forrest Whitaker, Woody Harrelson, Lawrence Fishburne, and Andy Lau. And we saw the deaths of Gary Cooper, Joan Davis, Carl Jung, Ernest Hemingway, Ty Cobb, and Chico Marx. And that's 1961. Very well done. All right, well, Phil, why don't you kick things off and give us your number 10? My number 10 is a Hammer horror film. It, it's directed by Terence Fisher, who did lots of Hammer horror films. But this one's The Curse of the Werewolf, which stars Oliver Reed becoming a werewolf. It's quite uh, stylish. It's not, it's not my favourite Hammer horror film, but I do enjoy it. And it's it's quite... I like the look of the, the werewolf as well. It's almost like a blonde werewolf. It's uh, pretty cool. Fun. But that's that's uh, my number 10. Well, as we know, Hammer Horror is a big gap in my movie uh, 
film knowledge, so I have not seen that one. Therefore, it will not be on my list. Mm, okay. I'll let you off. But my number 10 is probably equally as cheesy. It is Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, one of the classic Irwin Allen films, sort of a precursor to his big disaster films, but it does have a really neat science fiction uh, underwater element to it. And uh, not a film I honestly remember all that well, but I know I watched it when I was a kid and, and I enjoyed it. So that's why it squeaks into the list, but it does come in, in the last place spot just from for pure nostalgia reasons. Well, my number nine is Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. Oh, there yes. you go. All right. I, I quite like it. It's got the uh, the nuclear submarine sea view and yep. it stars uh, Walter Pigeon, uh, Peter Laurie. Uh, oh, and also uh, Barbara Eden for My Dream of Jeans. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's, uh, I remember it became a TV show as well, which is when I first knew about it. Yes, I'm much more familiar with that. I, I'm, I've yeah. definitely watched that in more recent years, but the movie itself... I, I love the design of, I love the design of the submarine and the, and the flying sub in particular yeah. that they had. Yep. But yeah, the, origi- the original one, it's, uh, it's a pretty... Pretty decent. decent. Uh, it's a bit of like a global disaster that uh, only these people on board. Uh, it's something to do with a meteor shower or something, which brings radiation to Earth. But uh, for some reason, a submarine is going to fix that. Which makes perfect sense. Yeah, it does. Because, you know, yeah, science. Uh, so that's my number nine as well. Uh, so you were, you were number 10 with that one. I was number nine with that one. Well, that sounds about right. Mm-hmm. My number nine is Judgment at Nuremberg, which has an amazing cast that includes Spencer Tracy, Burt Lancaster, Richard Widmark, Marlene Dietrich, uh, Maximilian Schell, Judy Garland, Montgomery Clift, and even a young William Shatner. Um, and I, I watched my God, <laughs> I watched it recently. It was so fascinating to see a very young William Shatner acting opposite a very old Spencer Tracy. They have a couple scenes together, and it was it was really neat to see that, actually. But um, I like this movie a lot. It's about the Nuremberg war, uh, war criminal trials, obviously. Um, it would have been higher on my list, but it is so long. It is three hours long, and it's three hours on the dot, too. It's not even like a short three hours. <laughs> I, I like the film yeah. a lot, but it's definitely one of those movies that you sort of have to you know, you kind of watch once and then you're like, yep, I'm glad I've seen that. And I don't need to revisit <laughs> that for a long time. So great film. But I, I just I really wish they could have kept it to around two hours. And I think it would have been a lot higher on my list because the cast is amazing. Cool. Yeah. I, couldn't, I saw that on the uh, the list of films for that year. And I couldn't remember if I'd seen it or not. So oh, you'd remember because you'd any... probably still be watching yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, I don't have any recollection <laughs> of it. But yeah. OK. Uh, my number eight is uh, it's a uh, World War Two uh, uh, adventure kind of film it's uh, the guns of navarone excellent choice which is based on the alison mclean novel and it's got a great cast gregory peck david niven anthony quinn you know that's that's oh anthony quayle as well but it's a great one it's uh, full of daring do about these commandos going in uh one of my great uncles or something was a commando as well and was involved in some of these similar kind of missions oh cool but uh yeah great cast world war two sneaking around uh avoiding the nazis they've got to blow stuff up just uh yeah Intrigue, action, adventure. It's a perfect Sunday afternoon kind of get a nice cup of tea, get the fire going and sit down and watch that. Excellent choice. That's my number eight. I like it. My number eight is The Absent-Minded Professor, which stars Fred McMurray. Uh, it is, you know, it's a family film, and it's about Flubber. a guy who invents, I was going to say, Flubber, which, of course, led to the remake starring Robin Williams, which is Flubber, which, of course, if you've been a longtime listener of the show, you know that Flubber holds a special place in our hearts, even <laughs> though I've still never seen the movie. Um, but uh, this is the movie that launched that. So if you like our, our Flubber jokes, then you might like this movie as well. I always like Fred McMurray. It's, it's a fun film. Again, another one I haven't seen since I was younger. Um, so it's it's higher on my list or lower on my list, I guess, because of that. But still a fun flick. So that's my number eight. Yeah, it didn't quite make my list. I've seen it. I enjoyed it. It was fun. Uh, and yeah, brought us flubber. Uh, my number seven is The Hustler. Uh, stars Paul Newman and Jackie Gleason and Piper Laurie. 
Oh, George C. Scott's, but it's all about uh, this kid who, a small town hustler, who then takes on legendary player Minnesota Fats. And it also brought us, there was like a sequel to it years later, The Color of Money with Tom Cruise and Paul Newman. But it's Paul Newman in his prime. Uh, it's a dark movie. It's, yeah, tense. All about, all following the game of pool. But it's, uh, it's a cracking movie. I had, it took me, a, I didn't see it for a good few years, but uh, when I did, I really, really enjoyed it. Paul Newman, great actor. It's a shame he wasn't better looking. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, some people have said that I, uh, you know, I almost look like Paul Newman if I was uh, look different. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. Anyway, all right, moving on. My number seven is A Raisin in the Sun, starring Sidney Poitier and Ruby D. It is, of course, a very um, serious drama about racism and family. Not a happy film. Not an easy film to watch necessarily, but it is a very good film. Uh, again, kind of like Judgment at Nuremberg, one of those movies that you watch once and you're like, I'm glad I've seen that. But certainly in this day and age, I think more people could stand to watch it. Uh, and Sidney Poitier's performance, of course, is phenomenal. So that's my number seven. Uh, actually, another one I don't think I've seen, to be honest. Yeah, you got to be okay. You got to be in the right mood for it, for sure. Yeah, it's one of those kind of films. Like, yeah, cool. Okay, well, my number six is a Roger Corman film based on a story by Edgar Allan Poe. And the screenplay was written by Richard Matheson. It is The Pit and the Pendulum, starring Vincent Price. And it's it's a Corman Poe movie, so it's uh, big, brash, kind of cheap, but also really cool. And it's got Vincent Price, so it's brilliant. Yeah, I, I you know, it, that's one of those ones I couldn't remember if I'd seen it or not. Uh, you know, I think he sort of uh, if you haven't seen him for a while, he can sort of blend yeah, into. Yeah. You sort of get confused with which ones which, but especially no, the Vincent Price stuff, you know. Yeah, but it's. Uh, it's it's a lot of fun. I do. I always like the Vincent Price films. Yeah, yeah, good choice. Like I said, I didn't I couldn't remember, so it didn't make my list. But an excellent choice. Well, my number six is a very different kind of film. It's a musical, which I don't usually include in my list, but it is the classic West Side Story, starring Natalie Wood and Rita Moreno. Um, and you know, another film that could have been higher on my list if it wasn't so long. You know, it's way over two hours. Yeah, it is a long film. It's a long actually. film, but it is a classic. It's got great music, um, great cast. It looks phenomenal. And I mean, everybody knows the songs from it. You know, Maria. I just met a girl named Maria. Everything's free in America. Like, there's, it's got great music. And, and I don't necessarily love musicals, uh, even from that time period. But I do enjoy West Side Story. I wish it was a little bit shorter, but it is a good movie. So it comes in at number six for me. Well, it comes in at number five for me. Oh, very good. Yes. Yeah, so it's uh, you've you pretty much nailed it. You also got Richard Boehmer and Russ Tamblyn in it. It's a great take on Romeo and Juliet. Uh, I saw I saw that this is the cinema a few years back as well. It was really re-released or something and it was uh i'd never seen it all the way through before i'd seen bits and pieces but i just said it's quite long so i was you know never caught it but seeing it in the cinema you know and it's, it was a good sound system and everything and it was i always find it you know when it's a big it's a proper musical when people are dancing as well and doing all this stuff the initial first time whenever they start dancing for the first time part of me goes oh my god because uh, <laughs> right. it's so kind of funny looking yeah but then when you, you realize you just you just sink into it then though and you're just blown away by how amazing as these dancers are it's incredible and it was also nominated for 11 academy awards and it won 10 including best picture you know and it, yeah i mean it's obviously it's a well-loved film so that, that's a, that's a big thing now for sure it's funny how that it's a movie also that's really seeped into the public consciousness like i i will say that probably at least once a year or so i find an occasion to sort of hunch over and start snapping you know, and like yes, walking yeah, in that, like yeah. right at the beginning of the movie with the jets and the sharks, and people always get the reference. Do you know what I mean? Like it's just one of those oh, things yeah, that totally, yeah. you know everyone everyone sort of knows. So well, I remember when I was in school, uh, well, a lot 
I used to do law. Our law teacher, whenever he'd mention it was like a fight in one of the cases, he'd start doing that, yeah, clicking his fingers, right. going, do, 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 do. When like you're that. a jet, you're a jet all the way. <laughs> yeah. like, it's just, it's just, it's so, it's so ingrained in our culture, you know? So it's, it's yeah. a classic. Even people who haven't seen it. Yeah. Yeah. They'll still, they still get it. Exactly. It's funny how some things work like that. Indeed. All right. Well, my number five has already appeared on your list. It is the Guns of Navarone. Um, I will say this about the Guns of Navarone. Yes. I, you know how sometimes you have weird memories linked to certain things? Yeah, this could go a number of different ways, Mike. <laughs> no. So there's an episode of the Dick Van Please Dyke Show. Please let it be nice. Yeah. There's an episode of the Dick Van Dyke Show. Yeah. And I used to watch that show religiously when I was a kid. And I, I all I remember from this one particular episode is that Dick tells people that he fell asleep in a movie theater during the Guns of Navarone. He's in a police station because there's a crime and he's a potential witness, but he fell asleep <laughs> and he fell asleep during the Guns of Navarone. And every time he tells a new person that, they all react the same way. They go, how can you fall asleep during the Guns of Navarone? <laughs> and that's one of those things. I haven't seen this episode in probably 30 years and it, it's always stuck with me. Oh, brilliant. And so I had never seen the movie actually until just very recently. I, I watched it about uh, a week ago. Um, and I will admit, because I started watching it late at night, I, I did fall asleep during the Guns of Navarone. So. Well, how can you fall asleep with the Guns of Navarone? <laughs> I'm going to side with Dick Van Dyke on this one. Um, <laughs> but I do really like it. It's, it's, again, too long, two hours and 45 minutes. But, but it does keep your attention the whole time. It is a great adventure film, terrific cast. And um, it's, it's, a, it's, it's one of those movies that at least earns its running time. It has a lot to get through. Um, and, and it does keep you interested for the whole two hours and 45 minutes. So that's my number five. Okay, well, my number four has got an even longer running time at almost three hours. Uh, well, what is it? 184 minutes. It is El Cid. Ah, uh, yes. Big epic historical drama starring uh, Charlton Heston, Sophie Loren, Herbert Lohman, lots of others, all about Christian Knight and all the escapades he get, gets up to with hilarious consequence. No, there's no, it's not really a comedy. No, it's a big epic kind of thing, big sprawling epic full of lots of different people, big castles, big fight scenes, Charlton Heston being Charlton Heston, but also El Cid. Uh, but it's, uh, it's it's really cool. But again, it's it's another one of those. I saw it was, my mum and dad always seemed to be watching, it used to be, seemed to be on telly all the time when I was a kid. You know, there's some films like that. Oh yeah, oh this yeah. Was one, this was one of them. It was, uh, I'd watch bits of it and I always remember the ending when he, anyway, I don't want to spoil the ending in case you haven't seen it, but uh, when I eventually got you, I eventually sat down and watched it all the way through realized how good it was and thought well, i'm not going to watch this again in a few years because it, it's quite a long film but thoroughly enjoyed it if you've never seen it and it's on tv it's worth it's worth sitting down and spending some time with it and watching it because it's uh it's got some great actors some great moments and it's a it is an epic very good i i will admit i have never sat down for that one yet i know it's over three hours and so it's 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 on yeah. my list but i haven't gotten to it all right. My number four is a Disney film, which is no surprise to most of our listeners, but it's not the one you think. Ooh. It is The Parent Trap, starring Maureen O'Hara, Brian Keith, Haley Mills, and Haley Mills. Yes, of course, it's the classic of the, the twin sisters who decide to try and get their parents back together, and they swap places, and wacky hijinks ensue. Uh, it's a really fun movie. I remember seeing it for the first time when I was a kid. I think it was a summer camp or something, actually, and it's a, it's a perfect summer camp movie, you know? A lot of fun. I thought Haley Mills is terrific in, in the dual roles. The special effects are pretty good in terms of, I mean, you know, it's a lot of mostly them at at separate times, but there are some split screen things. And just for the time period, they did a good job with it. 
Again, a little long. I was just looking. It's two hours and nine <laughs> minutes. Like, come on, people. That's a that's a 90-minute film if ever there's been one. But uh, it's still a great film. I have fond memories of watching it in my childhood, and I think it holds up pretty well even watching it as an adult. So that's my number four. Uh, an excellent choice. I do enjoy the film. I, heck, I even enjoy the uh, – I watched the remake, the one with Lindsay Lohan with my daughter. I well. thought the, the, the remake was pretty good, actually. That was back before Lindsay Lohan was a train wreck. <laughs> yeah, I, I always liked the concept as well. But, yeah, that, that was the original I quite like. But uh, it didn't make my list, but it's, uh, it's a nice choice. Fair enough. I'm glad it made yours. Uh, my number three, though, is uh, a film directed by Blake Edwards. It is Breakfast at Tiffany's. Very good. Yeah, Audrey Hepburn, George Papad, and uh, we won't mention Mickey Rooney's character. <laughs> yeah. But everything else, apart from that, is, uh, is really good. Uh, Audrey Hepburn was just such a good actress and absolutely stunning. But uh, the character she's playing as well is it was always quite an interesting character as well. You know, she's so many different layers to her, to her, and you don't really get the way it's done. It's like a, it's, it looks like a screwball kind of comedy to begin with, but it's not. It's quite a it's it goes to some quite dark places as well. Yeah, yeah, it does. Having only known really George Papard from uh, the A Team when I finally saw Breakfast Tiffany's, it was a bit of a change. Yeah. Although part of me was still thinking this is just all some scheme. He's working on someone key and he's going to meet up with the rest of the team <laughs> on the corner. Right. But it never happened. Right. Right. But no, it's uh, Breakfast Tiffany's. Turns it is out that Mickey Rooney's character is a Chinese national who's in hiding, and they have to extract uh, him and bring him to the American oh. government for safety. So that's that's the whole plan. See. Gotcha. Okay, that yeah. makes sense yeah. now. <laughs> okay then so uh that's that was my number three very good well my number three is a similar film it is breakfast at tiffany's yay Yay. so so similar it's the same um yeah you know another one of those movies i didn't see till late in life i probably watched it for the first time i'd say within the last 10 years um but i I really enjoy it it's a very fun film like you said it goes to some dark places You, you know you have to get past the mickey rooney thing it's a product of another time i can't apologize for it now but um the thing that it really did for me was i think that was the first movie i ever actually watched audrey hepburn in yeah and i just about fell in love with her. Like she is so radiant and so beautiful and so effervescent and charming and delightful. Like you watch her in this film and you just, you can see why she became like America's sweetheart instantly because her talent is I think most people fell in love with her when they first saw her. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's just phenomenal. So, um, that she makes the movie for me. I think if somebody else had been in the lead role, it might not have been the same, but uh, it's a great film. So that's my number three as well. Excellent. Okay. My number two is, a apocalyptic movie called The Day the Earth Caught Fire. And it's directed by Val Gas, but it's a cracking one. It's set in London, and we find out that because the Soviet Union and the United States have detonated simultaneous nuclear bomb tests... There, there goes Russia, doing it again. That's it. It's uh, After that, we get strange meteorological events, and it turns out that the Earth has been knocked slightly out of its orbit, so it's moving closer towards the sun causing water to evaporate and it's being it's constantly moving again towards the sun so we try doing different things trying to doing different bombs but it's great because we're focusing in on a few people and it's in even at the end you're not sure which way it's going to go it's got a great ending and it's a great pre-apocalyptic movie and if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend you check it out. I actually haven't seen it. And I, I, I obviously I love the title, but I, you know how much I love those kinds of films. Uh, yeah, so yeah. hearing your recommendation, I will certainly track it down. It's not one I think is readily available, so it might take a little time, but I'll, I'll track it down. Mm, it's good. It's, but it's a good, good British movie. It's, uh, you know, all the Brits with a stiff upper lip as the earth's going to, going to hell. All right. <laughs> I like it. 
that's my number two. All right. Well, my number two is probably not going to be on your list because I doubt it was your number one, and uh, that's all you've got left. So it is another Disney movie, and this time it is the one you expect. It is 101 Dalmatians. <laughs> now, we all know I love Disney movies, and we all know that when, I, when there's a year with a Disney animated film in it, it's really good chance it's going to end up on my list. But I will say that of all the classic Disney movies, 101 Dalmatians is my favorite, and it has been since I was a kid. I have always, always, always loved this movie. I love the characters. I love the dogs. I love that Cruella de Vil is a great villain. I just love the concept of it. You know, it's, the songs are great, and it's just a it's a it's a fun film. It's got enough danger and peril in it to make it exciting. Um, but it's it's a warm, loving film. You know, like these these parents who will do yeah, everything yeah. for their kids, and these cute little puppies, and they're watching their TV show and everything. And it's just. It's just a really great film, and I, I've always had a real soft spot for it. So it's my number two, uh, and that was, uh, I think, a pretty foregone conclusion early on for me because this is, like I said, one of my absolute favorite Disney films. Yeah, I knew it'd be on your list. Uh, it didn't make mine. I do enjoy it, but... Uh, I know, I know. I, 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 I didn't expect it to make your list because you're quite... a cold-hearted son of a bitch. No, it's, I, feel like <laughs> I, I don't know what it... I didn't see it when I was a kid. Ah, uh, okay, all right. Uh, so I didn't... I was... When was I? It must have been in my twenties when I finally saw it. Yeah, maybe that has something to do with it. I mean, yeah, but you're, probably does. But Disney stuff doesn't usually make your lists, though. Yeah, <laughs> cold hearted I mean, son of a bitch. <laughs> I like the I like the uh, I like the character designs as well, especially uh, Cruella Deville. Yeah, the fact she's just so kind of funny looking. Yeah, right, right. But uh, it's just uh, no, I, I like it. I'm glad it made your list. Didn't make my list, but what are you, you going to do? There you go. Fair enough. But my my number one is a film equally as lovable okay. as uh, 101 Dalmatians. It's charming. As loving, you know, it's, it's uh, Akira Kurosawa's Yojimbo, uh-huh. yep. starring Toshiro Mifune, and it's a classic. It's absolutely brilliant, and it's all about a ronin, played by Toshiro Mifune, who enters a small town where there's a couple of crime lords trying to be the best, and they both try and hire him, and he plays them both off each other, and he's it's just the performances are amazing. The sword fight's incredible. The composition of the shots, because it's Akira Kurosawa, just incredible. The way frames things, just it's just a stunning piece of filmmaking, but it's also very funny. If you've never seen it, you might actually have seen other films based on it because A Fistful of Dollars, uh, Last Man Standing, and Django to a minor, the original Django to a little degree as well, all based on that. And it's been the storyline's been used in probably a few other TV shows and films as well. But Yojimbo is uh, it's just a classic, and it's my number one for 1961. Very good choice. I have seen some Kurosawa films, but I have to admit that Yojimbo is not one of them, so that's why it did not make my list. Oh, it's well worth getting because it is. It's really. It's probably one of his most accessible ones as well. Right, right. Because it's uh, it's uh, it's 110 minutes, and it's just as I say, the characters. It's it's got quite a bit of humor in it as well. Right. Well, I do want to see it. I just haven't gotten around to it yet. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, my number one film has appeared on your list. I'm a little surprised at how low down it was, but I'll, that's okay. I'll forgive you. Uh, it is one? The Hustler. Oh, yes. yes. Um, and this is another film I had never seen until very recently. And here, here's it's got some flaws. I'll say that. It's still my number one because Paul Newman is just so great in it. And and George C. Scott actually is also extremely, extremely good in this film. He, pl- yeah, he plays yeah. sort of not quite a bad guy, but definitely not a good guy. Uh, and sort of by the end, he's kind of a bad guy, but he's phenomenal in it as well. Um, but here's the experience I had watching this film. So the first half hour of the movie is Paul Newman going up against Jackie Gleason in this epic like 28-hour pool shootout in which Paul Newman self-destructs. And it is among the most riveting half an hour of film I've ever seen in my life. 
And then he meets Piper Laurie's character and the film comes screeching to a halt. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now, some people might not feel the same way, but that was my experience with it. All the stuff between Paul Newman and Piper Laurie to me is very melodramatic and it slows the film down. But all of the stuff where Paul Newman is gambling and playing pool and hustling people. And there's a couple different kind of sequences throughout the film where this happens is is riveting. It's just so well shot and so well acted and just well written, like the way he sort of goes between winning and losing. Um, so, yeah, it's amazing how they make the, the, the games of pool so tense. Yeah, yeah, they really well, do. Which it, I find, yeah, it's, it is yeah. one of those movies where you're kind of on the edge of your seat, even though you have an idea of what you think is going to happen. So um, Paul Newman's great. Jackie Gleason is great. George C. George C. Scott is amazing. Like I said, the film has some flaws, but I just I do really love it overall. So that's my number one. Excellent. No, it is. It is a great movie. I think probably the reasons you mentioned as well. It's, it's why it's not higher for me. Yeah, I can understand. It's also that. been a while since I've seen it, but yeah, but uh, it's well deserving to be a number one. Thank you. So that's uh, both two pretty good lists there. Indeed, it is a little bit, uh, so it's a decent amount of overlap because there are some great films, but also some different yeah. ones for people to check out. Yeah, it was uh, 1961, the year of some very long films. <laughs> Indeed, it really was. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to wrap up our top 10 list and is also going to start wrapping up our episode. Phil, why don't you tell people what they can hear from us next week? Yeah, so next episode, I'm going to be using the Wayback Machine a bit more because we're going to be doing 12 Monkeys and Somewhere in Time, plus our top 10 favorite films of 1972. Yeah, it's a time travel double whammy. Didn't you already say that? Maybe in the future I did. <sighs> I remember you saying that next week. <laughs> Ooh. I like it. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, then, it's time for us to get out of here. So, as always, we thank you for listening. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And we'll see you next week. After the ending. All right. All right. You and your old-fashioned paper. It's actually an app on my phone. It makes it sound like paper. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a useful app. <laughs> I can see somebody building that and then being like, why aren't we making any money at this? <laughs> Finney's literary, Finney's literary, 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 with the doors is simple, sorry, with the doors, we're going to keep coming back to that and no one's ever going to get the joke because hardly, because hardly anybody saw that movie, oh, it's, it's such, such a brilliant scene, with the and Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, which means that two fifths of the cast is now dead. Which is oh, kind of sad. <laughs> like, sad way to bring it down, huh? You know, I think, wow, I'll, is, I think I'll just uh, cut that out. Hold on, but go back to what you just said, though. Fortunately, sadly, some of the cast have died, and some of the cast careers have also died. <laughs> Ouch. But um, bum Oh, that's, I totally messed up that, the delivery of that, didn't I? <laughs> Punctuation should have been used when I was writing that down. Punctuation is a bitch. Yeah, the Ken doll, you know, Ken, Barbie's boyfriend... Or whatever. I don't want to put names on it or labels. <laughs> right. Let's see if we can keep this one a little on the briefer side. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So who's first? Yeah, yeah. Because oh, I, yeah. I mean, most of mine are fairly lightweight, so I don't have a lot to say. I have a couple I have something to say about, but anyway. Well, I've I've got about I've got about two and a half pages for each one. <laughs> so. Uh... Hey Phil. I'll cut that hey, down Phil. to two. Screw you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, then let me uh, let me drop someone. Whichever one it drops nearest, okay. I'll do. All right. It fell off the table. <laughs> After the ending. All right. Bam. Wait, I'm, I'm, Phil, I'm Phil from the future. You've got to come with me. You two are the only ones who can save the future. Your podcast, your, your podcast has gone sentient and it's taken over the world. <laughs> Maybe next week, me and Mike are busy at the minute. We're just wrapping this one up. Okay, Phil? Oh my God, listen to me.
Just forget it. God, sorry about that, Mike. My future <laughs> self is a bit of an idiot. Okay. On that note. Yeah. See you next time, folks. <laughs> All right. You ready to stop recording? Are, are you done with the silliness, or uh, we still got more? I don't know. Let's just see if he turns back up again. I'm just looking behind me. No, we're good to go. Okay. There's just been like this big bright light, and now there's a naked, muscly man crouching over. <laughs> oh, so it's just a typical Tuesday yeah. then. <laughs> yeah, I hope, I hope it's going to be some kind of sci-fi action film. I hope it's not the other thing right. because he's naked. That could be really bad. <laughs> oh, no, he's got a gun. He's left. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, let's stop recording. Okay. <laughs>